Tuesday, March 15th. Welcome to Market Fuller. I'm Chris Hill, coming to you once again from Austin, Texas, at the South by Southwest Festival. And today, we're going to talk about the business of comedy with Matt Myra. He is a stand-up comedian. He's a jack-of-all-trades. He's a stand-up. He's a writer on the Comedy Central show At Midnight. He's also one of the hosts of the incredibly popular comedy podcast, The Nerdist. Uh, he hosts that with Chris Hardwick and Jonah Ray and uh, had a great time talking with Matt. We, we talk about whether there is a bubble in the business of comedy. We talked about the changing economics of the television business, podcasting. We talked movie marketing budgets uh, and a whole lot more. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this conversation with Matt and I hope you enjoy it too. So South by Southwest has been going on for decades and it's grown from music to include film and interactive and just in the last few years comedy i look at that and one of my takeaways to that is the business of comedy is growing but exponentially so, but yeah. you've been here so i mean you you tell me you're you, yeah when, first when time you, i was here was probably 2011 2010 maybe we had uh, we did a live nerdist podcast with john oliver uh, at Estrus Follies, and at that point, the comedy section of South by even then wasn't. It was decent, but it wasn't. You know, these five, six nights of shows constantly going on live. Hardwick doing it at midnight live the other night on Periscope. Uh, you know, it's really turned into something huge. It's turned into something where. That year, I was walking around and I'd run into like one or two people. This year, I'm running into everybody in LA that does comedy. It's really, it's kind of funny. I expect to be walking into this local coffee bean in Silver Lake and running into them, but instead I'm standing outside waiting for smoked meat to come out. And then I'm running into like Rhea, uh, just ran into Rhea Butcher, I ran into John Gabers, and that was just this afternoon, and then I ran into Jonah Carey. It's, it's become, it's becoming so big and so, I don't want to say bloated, but so, We'll say action-packed for the people who want to buy a platinum badge. You're right. Uh, that uh, it's getting to be a little. I'm I'm sort of in a state of delirium right now because I got here Thursday, I leave on Tuesday. I am now today. I have to take a taxi to my third hotel of the weekend, <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm kind of slowly losing my mind here. So you're catching me at the perfect time. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, so. We've seen in the world of investing various bubbles. We've seen housing bubbles, certainly the dot-com bubble. It sounds like what you're describing could be construed as a comedy bubble because for no, those, I think it's more of a festival bubble. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think it's a bloat on the comedy scene per se, but okay. I think it's a bloat on festivals trying to do too many things and shove it into too little time. Because for those who are unaware. There really was a comedy bubble in the in the eighties. Yeah, there was a stand-up comedy bubble, one hundred percent. With comedy you, clubs cropping up all over the country, and you know, there being enough comics to fill them, but there not being enough really good comics to fill them, and sort of a rejection of that that whole eighties. I yeah, I describe it as the rolled-up sleeve blazer comedy. <laughs> you know. That whole... It was a good look for about 18 months. Yeah, it, it worked out all right. I was, just, I was in San Francisco two, 
maybe a weekend. I was last week. Yeah, I was there last week, and uh, I saw a guy with a blazer with the sleeves rolled up, like get out of an Audi, with a Vimeo T-shirt on, and his uh, license plate said "viral." Wow. So there's a whole lot that's going another, on. There. That's one of the many reasons I don't enjoy San Francisco anymore. <laughs> Let's. Uh, <laughs> you, you work in television. Yep. You work in podcasting. Let's talk for a minute, though, about stand-up comedy because yeah. stand-up comedy is something I enjoyed greatly. When I mean, I was in college in Boston in the 1980s. Oh and yeah, if you, you enjoyed stand-up yeah. comedy, it was just a paradise because there were so many clubs. And it wasn't until many years later that I realized that the business of stand-up comedy when it comes to clubs yeah. is really two separate businesses. There's the comedian yes. who's trying to get laughs. Right. There's the club that's really in the restaurant business. The comedians are only there to help the restaurant business. That's all. We're, we are there so that the venue can sell drinks and sell appetizers and, and, and make their nut on that. Because the, you know, the, the, you know, the guarantees get bigger as you're, you know, headlining and the guarantees mean you get paid regardless of how many people show up, but the club knows that people are going to show up to come see you, so everybody's happy. But you're there as part of the, you know, you're there like a, like a pinball machine is at Dave & Buster's. That is why a comedian <laughs> is at a comedy club. So as someone who performs stand-up comedy, uh -huh. do you actively seek out non-club venues, or is it just a situation well, where you say, you know what? I'm just trying to work. It's interesting what's happening in L.A. right now, because L.A. was very, you know, we don't have nearly as many venues as New York does. Uh, comedy shows are cropping up all over the place. It, you know, there's a Chinese restaurant on Hillhurst in Los Angeles that does nightly comedy. There's, you know, we have uh, Nerdist Theater at Meltdown Comics, which is a theater in the back of a comic book store. But what I'm seeing now is a lot more people that are going over to the comedy store to the uh, improv on Melrose and doing sets there more than more than I have seen in the last 10 years for sure you know even Hardwick's going out and doing sets at the comedy store I think those clubs are really they're having a renaissance period in Los Angeles right now which is I think very interesting um, but the whole thing of doing comedy in LA at alternative venues you know, the UCB, now there's two UCBs in Los Angeles. There's the UCB on Sunset and there's the UCB on uh, Franklin, you know. And so that should tell you there's there's certainly a, I don't want to say a glut of comics, but there is there is a demand now for more venues and they're cropping up all over the place. When it comes to television and the business of television, something we've talked about on this podcast for the last few years is about how... People who are showrunners, people who are creators, mm -hmm. have a lot more options than they did 10, 20 years Absolutely. ago yeah. in terms of where, where they can get a show produced. But it seems like, um, based on what I've read and heard from people like Louis C.K., yeah. that the trade-off is greater creative control for less guaranteed money up Absolutely. front. Yeah. Is, that, is that the experience you and yeah, your friends have had? That's, uh, that's, there are infinitely more places to do it you know now with CISO popping up there's a lot of these what is CISO? CISO is a subscription uh, it's a subscription service like a Hulu or a Netflix 
that focuses extensively on comedy. So there's a lot of original programming coming out of there with a lot of my friends. It's so like, you know, Kulop, uh, Kulop has a show called Bajillion Dollar Listing, which is a very funny take on the whole Bravo genre of reality television. Jonah Ray, uh, I, one of my co-hosts on Nerdist, he is uh, launching a show called Jonah Ray's Hidden America, which is a travel show, which is a funny travel show. It's, you know, sort of sketch, uh, sketch-based him going around America, like going to Boston and getting into all these weird situations, and it's very funny, and it's like this whole other place that exists that costs $4 a month for people to go to. And there's, of course, your... Your Netflixes with Paul Rust's show Love and, and all of these people that are popping off with all these other shows. Now, what that means in return is there is no... What's interesting now, because I'm going through this right now, traditionally now is staffing season. That's what we call it. So traditionally between the middle, end of March to the beginning of May is when all the shows get picked up by the networks and the writing staffs get built. So... But what's happening now is it's not, it's not like do or die right now anymore because the seasons are sort of gone. Television seasons right. don't really exist anymore because Netflix is going at all odd times. And, you know, even like NBC last year put on Gerard's show, they put on the Carmichael show in the summer and that became a hit for them in the summer. And it was a multi-camera sitcom. Uh, and now that's back, you know, mid-season now. So there is no real... Used to be the summer was just the wasteland and no one was watching anything in the summer. But now as all these places are popping off, it's it's an interesting time. But it's still it's not I mean even it's not like it was 5 years ago. It's changing so rapidly. There's so much happening. And it's not, you know, it's not the money everyone was used to and every season is now 10 episodes of something on something. And it's not the 22-episode guarantees that everyone was getting. Well, not everyone, but that a lot of the top guys were getting. And it's, it's, an interesting, it's, watch, it, it's interesting watching the industry adjust to this. Because uh, we're all figuring it out together at the same right, time. Yeah. Right. Well, and it sounds like you know, it, it, what's happening in comedy is right in line with what I've heard at some of the sessions here at South by Southwest it, when it comes to technology. Yeah. That, that technology just moves so quickly and changes happen so fast that uh, in some ways the more nimble a company can be, yeah. uh, the better they're going to adjust. Right. Uh, when it comes to podcasting, you're one of the hosts of the Nerdist podcast, mm -hmm. which is hugely hugely popular it is we're very fortunate we got um, in at the right time you you uh but you also host a few others a yeah. few others yeah uh and and what i love about the sh the other ones that you host is they they are to me uh, a beautiful expression of what podcasting is which is whatever your interest is yeah. there is a podcast yeah. out there for it yeah. so one of the ones you host is about the television show frazier that's correct and another one is entitled James Bonding. Yep. Because you were a huge James yes, Bond fan. As is my co-host of that, Matt Gorley, we just decided to break it down together. We wanted to go through and experience all the movies again. It gave us an excuse to get together and force other people to watch James Bond movies and to talk about James Bond. It's, it, podcasting is, I think, an expression of what the internet is, which is a niche of a niche of a niche. It's, it's a, you thought you were alone with your love of James Bond or your love of Frasier. Turns out, no, you weren't. 
and we're here to talk about it with you. And I think that's sort of the beauty of podcasting is because it's so cheap to do. They're, they're, they're very inexpensive to make. You can do them relatively cheap. You get a $100 microphone or whatever. Uh, and they're very cheap to host. And you can put them out and not really care if anyone listens. If the people find you, great. Then we're all on board together. And if they don't <laughs> find you, I'm still going to do it because it costs me nothing. So as... Except time. As a James Bond expert, yeah. uh, let me ask you a business question, which sure. is that in the movie industry, we've seen examples of... Uh, and it doesn't matter what the studio is, but... Any number of studios have had financial flops that are tied in no small part to the expense of the marketing budget. Yes. And am I correct that the James Bond franchise over the last few films anyway has done a pretty effective job of, I don't want to say curtailing expenses because they're still expensive movies oh, to make, but they've, but they've... James Bond is one of the few, few film franchises that perfectly lends itself to product placement. Because so much of what James Bond... And this goes back to Ian Fleming writing James Bond. Ian Fleming was very particular about everything he was writing about. If he was talking about you know, James Bond's uh, Bentley, he would describe it in detail. James Bond's Rolex, he would describe that in detail. Because you were reading these, this, this international man of mystery and his luxurious you know, tastes and travels, and you were into that kind of thing. And that has, that has always been in the fabric of James Bond, which is where I think James Bond differs from some people sort of expect that of a James Bond movie people part of James Bond is the luxury items that he gets to have or his watch that is also a laser that is also a grappling hook etc cetera, etc cetera. but what is that watch going to be well they could make up a fake brand or they could say oh you know I bet Omega would pay us a lot of money to put this watch to make We'll leave Rolex and we'll go to Omega. You know, James Bond drinks Heineken now, which is a little weird. Uh, I was going to be my next question because I, I, when, and I'm not nearly the Bond fan yeah. that you are, but I do remember when Skyfall came out yeah. that there were some people who kind of freaked out that James Bond was drinking be, Heineken. Best known for the martini shaking up shirts. Here's what I like to say about that. Yes, he was drinking Heineken, but we don't know if where he was, if that was the only beer worth <laughs> drinking. You know, you're not gonna, you can't, you can't say for sure. Plus, if I remember correctly, he's drinking Heineken. I think in where is he drinking Heineken in Skyfall? I, I think don't he just remember. takes one sip of it. Yeah, well, that's all. Oh, I remember. He's at this like oasis bar on a beach somewhere, and there's a good chance that's all they had. That's top shelf stuff. And I mean, if you go back to Doctor No, there's huge placement of Red Stripe. Because, if you remember correctly, Dr. No took place in Jamaica. Jamaica, sure. And there's a huge red, you know, James Bond throws somebody, throws Quarrel into a giant boxes of red stripe. And it's like, here's a bunch of red stripe. And it's so, I think James Bond gets away with it because it's always, it has always been. And when you look at Star Wars, you know, their marketing budget was uh, 50 million more dollars than the budget of the movie. And they... You know, pimped out every conceivable product. Like in my hotel room last night, there was a bottle of Niagara water that had BB-8 on it. <laughs> I was just like, "Why does this?" You know, did, did that make you more compelled to drink it? 
it made me more compelled to leave it for the next person in that room. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they have, like, Campbell's Soup has a huge tie-in with them. It's just a lot of bizarre things that have no, there's no need for them to have a Star Wars character on them. But if, I don't, I don't mind it so much. If someone's going to pay you to do something and it doesn't really hinder the final product, i.e. the fact that BB-8 is on that water bottle in my hotel room does not mean that the movie is worse. Right. You know what I mean? It's not interfering in that way. And with James Bond, that stuff is in the movie, but it has a perfect place in the movie. Last question, and then I'll let you go. Uh, because you're wearing a Cheers t-shirt. I am indeed, yes. And you have the appropriate baseball cap. I do, yeah. Well, go Red Sox. This is their alternate cap. Everybody who's listening is the one with the little boots on, little socks on them. How are the Red Sox going to do this season? Uh, you know, it's very interesting. As I just was, I just was eating barbecue with Jonah Carey, and we were breaking down the uh, projections for the season, and I, I think they're going to be the sixth best team in the league. So playoffs. Oh, yeah. I think they'll be in playoff contention. And I think if David Price is pitching well and we can get him, if we get out of the wild card, so we're not doing the one-game playoff, which I don't enjoy very much, I think in a five-game series or a seven-game series, especially if it's a seven-game series, and you have David Price who can go twice, if he can finally get over the hump and learn how to pitch in the playoffs, <laughs> I, think we're, I think we're in pretty good shape. I don't, uh, but it's a big hump. It's a big hump he's got to get over. It is a big hump. You know, but if, you know, if he's on the Red Sox, he's playing at Fenway. He does well in Fenway. He's left-handed. They have a green monster to protect him. And luckily for us, Hanley Ramirez is no longer in left field. So someone will be out there that can play left field. You're getting enthusiastic nods of approval from baseball <laughs> aficionado Dan Boyd. So, so I'm going to go with this. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I would love to come and talk stocks sometimes, guys. <laughs> S&P 500. Just shove your money in there. You'll be fine. Well, I mean, your, friend, your, your friend Hardwick is, is now the, the pitch man for Comcast. So um, did he get some stock I was options on, in I was that on deal? The, I was on the set with him when he was making those commercials. Uh, no stock options in no the deal? No stock options. Straight cash? Straight cash, homie. <laughs> that guy got some straight bank. <laughs> Not that he needs it. He's marrying a Hearst. So yeah. I think he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay at the Hardwick Hearst uh, <laughs> estate. <laughs> As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for today's edition of Market Fool. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.